Welcome to Israel Mosaic, Land People's Story. I'm your host, Cora Tarod, and I'm coming to you from the Galilee, where my wife and I live. Thank you for joining me today. On today's podcast, I'll be bringing you part one of a three-part series on the Arab-Israeli plight in light of their ancient history that has spanned many millennia. News in Israel With the election of the new Israeli government, which is the most right-wing government ever to come to power, tensions have been escalating in the recent days. Last week here in the land, there were several events of great concern. It started last Thursday morning, on January 26th, when the Israel Defense Forces and the Israeli Security Agency, known as the Shin Bet, and the Israel Police entered Jenin, a refugee camp in Samaria, to arrest Palestinian Islamic Jihad operatives. In a heated exchange with gunfire between the terrorists, nine Palestinians were killed. In response to this operation, several rockets were fired by a terrorist organization from Gaza towards southern Israel late last Thursday night. One rocket was intercepted by the Iron Dome air defense system and others fell in open fields. In retaliation to the rocket fire, the Israeli Air Force bombed an underground rocket manufacturing site in Gaza. The next day, Friday, January 27th, was International Holocaust Remembrance Day, when the entire world remembered the millions of Jewish lives that were cut short by the atrocities done in Nazi Germany. That evening in Jerusalem, as worshippers had finished praying and were leaving a Shabbat service at the Ateret Avraham Synagogue, a lone Palestinian 21-year-old gunman shot and killed seven people, wounding three others including a 14-year-old boy and a couple trying to help the wounded. This was the deadliest terror attack in Israel since 2011. On Saturday morning, January 28th, there was a second terrorist attack by a 13-year-old Palestinian teenager who shot and seriously wounded a Jewish father and his son in the old city of David in Jerusalem. With the rise of these recent escalations in Israel, you may be asking, why is this happening? Why the perpetual cycle of violence now and throughout the pages of history? These pressing questions need to be examined and looked at in their proper historical context. The Roots of Ancient Peoples There may not be a more controversial subject in modern times and over the many millennia than the fractured family relationship between the Hebrew and Arab peoples. Today and in the next few podcast episodes, I'm going to attempt to bring to light the roots of where all the violence, terror attacks, and anti-Semitism began here in Israel and around the world. Today we will look at this most delicate subject and trace the historical accounts from the Torah. When sharing about the Arab-Israeli plight and the complex issues surrounding their stories, we must come to a place of understanding on how multi-layered and multi-dimensional these issues are 
and how they are deeply reflective of the human condition. This is a challenging and most difficult subject to discuss due to the historical, political, ideological, and religious issues surrounding these two ancient people groups. Looking for answers. There are so many questions that need to be explored about two ancient peoples that share a common father, yet have become so divided. How did the Semitic peoples come to be? Who is the father of the people known as the Hebrews and the Arabs? I want to draw us closely to the deep roots of two peoples, roots that make up one collective family and are the focus of the entire world. Noah's Three Sons Looking back into the genealogical records of the Torah, we find the ancestry of the Arab and Hebrew peoples. Genesis records that all the peoples of the world come from Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Who was Shem? According to the Hebrew Bible, he was Noah's second son and distant relative to Abraham, being separated by just ten generations. Abraham and Sarah, who bore Isaac, the son of the promise, would be instrumental in future generations in bringing forth the Messiah, Yeshua, to the world. Our Father Abraham God chose a man named Abram and his wife Sarai. They were born in Ur of the Chaldeans, which is in modern-day Iraq. God would transform their lives, change their names to Abraham and Sarah, and they would come to be known as Hebrews. They would make their home in the Promised Land, which would be later known as the nation of Israel. God spoke to Abraham and said in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Son of the Promise, Son of the Flesh God appeared again to Abraham, saying that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the heavens, and that his heir from his own flesh and blood would inherit the land that was promised to him. As time continued, and Abraham reached an elderly age, he still had not fathered a child, and Sarah was not a mother. They both got impatient and tried to create the fulfillment of God's promise by their own human understanding and efforts. This is something we all can relate to. Sarah started to reason and thought perhaps their children would come through her maid, Hagar. Abraham and Hagar conceived a son, and his name was called Ishmael. Then God appeared to Abraham once again, several years later, saying that Sarah will bear a son who will be his heir. Genesis chapter 17 verses 15 through 21 say, Then God said to Abraham, I will bless Sarah, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed, and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man a hundred years old? And will Sarah, who is ninety years old, 
give birth to a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God said, No, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you shall name him Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him and make him fruitful and multiply him exceedingly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. Abraham became the father of both Ishmael and Isaac, who would eventually become the Arab and Jewish peoples. God blessed both sons with land and descendants, but it was through Isaac an eternal covenant was made. Although Isaac and Ishmael were half-brothers and shared the same father, the conflict between them began early on. In an article entitled, The Conflict Between Jews and Arabs Started in Biblical Times, it quotes that in Genesis chapter 21, verse 9, their sibling rivalry started just after Isaac was weaned. Verse 9 says, Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, mocking. The root of this ancient jealousy would eventually continue with Jacob and Esau, and it remains to this very day. The Genesis account doesn't spare any detail when it comes to Abraham as a father having to make the excruciating decision to send his firstborn son, Ishmael, away for good, and then shortly later, being asked by God to sacrifice the son of the promise, Isaac, on an altar. Yet, we see Abraham remaining faithful to God and his sons becoming fathers of great nations. And the Hebrew scriptures tell us that even though Ishmael and Isaac were separated geographically, when their father Abraham died, they buried him together in Hebron. Two Nations The Arab and Jewish peoples can trace most of their roots and lineages to Genesis chapter 25. The story takes place when Isaac's wife Rebekah becomes pregnant. Beginning at verse 23 it says, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. The story continues in verse 25, and it says, The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand, grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. The brothers wrestling in their mother's womb would be a foreshadowing of the present struggle and sibling rivalry until this day. Esau's descendants became known as the Edomites, which in Hebrew means red because he had red hair. They became the people known as the modern nation of Jordan. Jacob's name comes from the Hebrew root word heel, since he reached out and grabbed his twin brother's heel. Yet, God would change his name from Jacob to Israel, causing a metamorphosis to take place in his life. And he would go on to be one of the patriarchs of the chosen people of Israel, who would one day live in the land flowing with milk and honey. God's Blessings for Two Peoples God blessed his chosen people Israel 
with a specific region and locality. The land was first promised to Abraham and then passed down through his son Isaac, son of the promise, and eventually to his son Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons who would make up the 12 tribes of Israel. The Hebrew Bible says in Genesis chapter 15, verse 18, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. Just as Jacob had 12 sons, so did Ishmael, who was Abraham's firstborn son through his concubine Hagar. Genesis 17 verse 20 says, He will be the father of 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. Ishmael, Abraham's son, became the father of a line of desert people who joined with the already existing sons of Yoktan to later be known as Arab peoples. After Sarah died, Abraham took another wife named Keturah. Abraham and Keturah had six sons, which became the father of more Arab peoples. Esau and his uncle Ishmael eventually became one family. The Genesis account in Genesis chapter 28 verse 9 says, So Esau visited his uncle Ishmael's family and married the daughter of Ishmael. The lineage continued on as the Arab people became more widespread and migrated to many different desert landscapes. Esau and his uncle Ishmael would become the fathers of a people blessed with much land and natural resources. The Arab people would become prosperous and they would make up the nations known as the Middle East. In the book of Joshua, we see God blessing Esau with specific land. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 4, it states, I assign the hill country of Seir to Esau. An online dictionary resource says that Esau took wives from among the Canaanites and settled his family in the hill country of Seir, which became known as the land of Edom. This land east of the Negev Desert of Israel lies in present-day Jordan. The Tents of Shem There is a passage in Genesis, the first book of Moses, that is known and referred to as one of the more difficult passages to interpret in the entire Hebrew Bible. It's often misunderstood and very misused and has been the source of much controversy and divisiveness throughout history. Yet, the genius of God draws all peoples to re-examine this word given by Noah, the man who survived the global flood with his family. Over the years, I have been aware of the account found in Genesis chapter 9, but it wasn't until I heard a teaching on the tents of Shem by the late Art Katz, biblical teacher and author, did I come to a clearer understanding of its implications for the modern world, the Jewish and Arab peoples, and the worldwide church community at large. According to the Hebrew Bible, all the peoples of the world come from Noah's three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. In this passage, God is clearly drawing our attention to all Semitic peoples, and specifically His chosen people Israel. The passage is found in Genesis chapter 9, verse 27. And it reads, May God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be the servant of Japheth. 
In an article called Difficult Sayings, May He Dwell in the Tents of Shem, the author references Rabbi Jonathan Ben Uziel's insights on this verse. The rabbi sees the verse evangelistically, like the early church, but in the sense of Gentiles becoming God-fearers and righteous Gentiles studying at the feet of Shem. Rabbi Ben Uziel concludes that if the Hellenistic world brought its culture within the tents of Shem, they would learn righteousness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 and 4, the Apostle Paul describes the human body as a tent. The author John in John chapter 1, verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt, literally tabernacled, among us, and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father. The author goes on to share a Christian perspective of this verse, and he states and explains that Christians, therefore, would not be amiss in seeing Genesis chapter 9, verse 27, as a prophecy of God coming down and dwelling in the land of Israel, in the body or tent of Jesus. The Blessings of Shem In an article by Toby Janaki from First Fruits of Zion, called The Blessings of Shem, he offers up poignant insights to this passage found in the Torah. He says in Noah's blessings toward Shem, it establishes the idea of the nations joining themselves to Israel. He goes on to say that according to the interpretation of the Talmud to Genesis chapter 9, verse 27, it says that the people of the nations will fall into two categories in the Messianic era. There will be those who have turned to the God of Israel and join in with the Jewish people. And there will be those who will be conquered and in turn become servants to the nation of Israel. Janaki concludes the article by stating, Gentiles and Messiah Yeshua are dwelling in the tents of Shem, so to speak. They have chosen not to be slaves of Israel, but to become partners with them in working toward the kingdom of heaven. Shem's descendants are the Jewish people through the son of the promise. And by accepting a Jewish Messiah, Gentiles have aligned themselves with the Jewish people as well. They can then say, Blessed be the God of Shem. One of the keys. In my opinion, Noah's blessing on his son Shem in Genesis chapter 9 is one of the most important keys to understanding God's order, plan, and eternal purposes for the Jewish people. Yet, the organized church, down through the ages and for centuries on end, as a collective body, has not come to reckon, fully accept, and embrace the words spoken by Noah millennia ago. In Noah's words, being the second progenitor of all mankind, we see God's special blessing for his people Israel. The God of heaven and earth is once again drawing our attention to this present age and the future messianic age to come. The Unseen War The Bible speaks about the principalities and powers presiding in the heavenly realm. They are the demonic forces that we cannot see with our human eyes. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world's forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. The principalities rule over nations, cities, regions, and territories, manipulating the hearts of men and women to carry out their will and evil desires. In an article entitled Spiritual War Against Israel, the writer shares that there is a root cause, a single principal reason for all of the aggression against Israel. According to the Hebrew Bible, the nations will be in a virtually continuous conflict with the state of Israel until Messiah returns. Revelation chapter 12 makes it clear that the underlining problem is spiritual, not political. The conflict is between Israel, God's servant, and satanic powers. Revelation chapter 12 verse 13 says, The dragon who is Satan persecuted the woman, that is Israel, who gave birth to the male child, who is Jesus. Verse 17 states that the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children. The Complexity of the Land The nation-state and the people of Israel have existed at the crossroads of the ancient and modern world from time immemorial. No other region in the history of the world has had the deep anthology of intersecting people groups traveling between three continents and being ruled by so many different empires. Yet, Israel has miraculously persevered and survived, and Jerusalem remains God's eternal home. Over the millennia, God has seen his people go through war and famine, diasporas and aliyahs. The prophet Isaiah writes in Isaiah chapter 46, verse 13, For I am ready to set things right, not in the distant future, but right now. I am ready to save Jerusalem and show my glory to Israel. I believe that part of this glory are the dreams of Rabbi Yeshua that both Arab peoples and Jewish alike are having in and out of the land of Israel. There have been countless stories of Muslims across the Middle East who grew up with a burning hatred toward the Jewish people in Israel and through dreams of Yeshua now have a love for the land and his people. The God of Israel through the Hebrew Scriptures at this time in history is calling all peoples of the world to come and humbly enter the tents of Shem. For it is in this tent we discover the dwelling place of the Messiah of Israel, the Jewish Jesus. He is the one that Moses and the prophets foretold and wrote about and is the light of the Gentiles and the glory of his people, Israel. Join me next time on Israel Mosaic, Land People's Story, when we will learn more about the complex histories of both the Jewish and Arab peoples. See you soon.